What's up, Kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we have a packed show of college football content, special delivery for you. And we're going to get through what's going on with Ohio State, some, well, longest odds, if you will, to win the national championship game, something that Mike Leach said to get us all sort of thinking about, hmm, who could win the national championship that we probably didn't think would win the national championship, all because of this horse called Rich Strike, which is just a fantastic name, horse names in general, like Horse Awesome. Just love that for us. I also want to get to a little bit of some transfer news and talk about what I think are some obvious candidates for the most impactful transfer of the 2022 season. And this is the beginning of a three-part series that we're going to give to you this May. But let's start with the news that was gifted to us from the content lords, as it were, with 2024 quarterback Dylan Rayola committing to Ohio State. Now, I was going to lead this show with the longest odds bit because we're in peak offseason mode. But then we had some real for real news coming out of Columbus with the top quarterback in the 2024 class. That is Dylan Rayola, excuse me, Rayola committing to Ohio State. So I want to get into that. First, what the heck is going on in Columbus in that Ryan Day in particular? But Corey Dennis really shares some of this. But they've been recruiting their behinds off more or less since Ryan Day got to Ohio State. And the way that I kind of want to go at this is just by mentioning the quarterbacks that have played for Ryan Day, not the ones that he's just recruited and signed. So start with this. He makes the decision to tap Dwayne Haskins to be the starter in 2018, which led to Joe Burrow going into the transfer portal coming out at LSU. What I find to be most wild about this, and really a feather for Ohio State, is that nobody in Columbus is mad. That is how good Dwayne Haskins was in 2018. Add to that, Joe was coming off of a broken hand, didn't really know what you were going to do. The kind of offense that he was being recruited to run was the one that Urban Meyer was first running when he got to Columbus. Ryan Day obviously wanted to open up the aerial attack and has turned Ohio State into one that bombs folks as opposed to runs over folks, which has been Ohio State's DNA basically since the 19th century. That's number one. Number two here is that he had Justin Fields transfer in from Georgia and developed him into a Heisman finalist and a first-round quarterback. I want to hit that first-round quarterback one really hard here because every quarterback— that has started more than one game for Ryan Day has ended up a first-round draft pick, right? The reason I say more than one game is because we have this little asterisk here where Kyle McCord started against Akron to give C.J. Stroud some much-needed rest after getting banged up to start the season. But I even think that we could probably say this for Kyle McCord, who has said and done all the right things since joining Ohio State and backing up C.J. Stroud. He understands the role. Something happens to C.J., he's the first dude that's going to get a call. Add to that Justin Fields coming from Georgia where he was being treated something like Cam Newton, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? But he wasn't being developed, and he wasn't given the opportunity to really go get the job from Jake Fromm, which means that we probably could have seen Kirby Smart do with Justin Fields what Dabo Sweeney did with Trevor Lawrence, and we might have had... Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields, not once, but twice, right? And we were robbed of that because, well, Georgia's Georgia. He transfers 
to Ohio State changes the way that we do the NCAA transfer, changes the way that we do the, the waiver, and really brings in the portal. Also, he could be the starter for the Chicago Bears. Outstanding talent. You guys know how I feel about one Justin Fields. C.J. Stroud, right? He's the dude. He's a Heisman finalist in his first season as the starter. And then we can get into the guys that he's recruited. You know, Quinn Ewers. Uh, we can go with Devin Brown coming out of Draper, who's following up Jackson Dart, who's following up Zach Wilson. It's kind of like a little quarterback cradle down there in Corner Canyon High, Draper, Utah. Got that right. Right on. And then we get add to that Jack Miller, who transferred to Florida and was so good that another guy from Florida, we'll talk about a little bit later, a little bit later in the show, decided to transfer himself. But back to Dylan Rayola. Yes, this is the son of former Detroit Lions center and, more importantly, Nebraska center, Dominic Rayola. Dominic Rayola, you might remember, is not just an All-American at Nebraska. He is the first inaugural winner of the Remington Award, which is given to the nation's top center. This is pedigree like you read about. Add to that, Dylan's sister, Taylor, playing volleyball at Texas Christian. His little brother is an outstanding baseball player. Like, it's all over the map with this. And the way that Dominic has raised these kids and the way that he talks about them, I think as a parent, you can learn a lot from just what he has been able to do with them. But I would be remiss if I did not mention the Rayolas gave Nebraska every opportunity. They went down there for the spring game. They understand what Dominic means to the program there. Dylan got to see his daddy's number 54 hung up at Memorial Stadium. They got the whole deal. I understand that Nebraska fans are trying to feel some kind of way about this. I would add to this, it's 2024, anything can happen. But it feels like anybody that pledges to Ohio State usually sticks with Ohio State. But back to what Dominic has done with these kids, in particular Dylan. I love this quote that he gave to the Purcell Register. Dominic took no chances, really, with his kids' character. Even if their talent is hereditary, he did not expect their character to be hereditary. This is the quote. Every day in our house, we start our daily devotional. We start with, are your grades in line? Are you being a good son, a good brother? Are you doing the little things like emptying the dishwater? If you're not doing all that type of stuff, all this football stuff is pointless. But if you are being a good son, good brother, then everything else in your life is going to line up. That's how you draw it up. Right, And I got to tip a cap to all the football dads out there with prodigious talents because it's real hard to keep your kids level-headed and to really try to give them the full experience that they should enjoy as teenagers with all this going on around them. Sounds like the Rayolas are doing that and more. Now, Dylan's six foot three, 220 pounds, and he's just a rising junior. He transferred from Berlin's, uh, Burleson, Texas, right, where I believe they are the Elks, playing for John Kitna there. As a sophomore, he threw for over 3,300 yards with 42 touchdowns, just five interceptions. That's wild, right? He's since transferred to Chandler in Arizona. His family lives in Scottsdale. But Kitna gave a really great, great quote to Steve Wiltfong at 247. goes like this. There's not a throw he can't make. He understands coverages and where the weak spots are in coverage. He knows protection. He knows how to set up the run game to the right spot. He's going to be a 4-6 kid at the end of it and be someone that can hurt you running with his legs just as incredible 
is he as a deep ball thrower. That's one of the things that really separates him. He can do it from a phone booth and get the ball up in the air quickly. His improvisation skills are something a coach, you can't really teach that. He can improvise like crazy and make plays. For Kitna to say all of this, also with Jalen Kitna having been the starter before Dylan was the starter at Burleson, it means the world to evaluators because Kitna played the game at a high level in the NFL and has since become one of the better high school football coaches in the state of Texas. I'd also add in here that being able to go from Nebraska to Columbus and as the legacy of not just a Nebraska player, but one of the great all-times of Nebraska football, still have the gumption to commit to Ohio State in May, hey, man, I'm with that. And I really believe that this is going to be an outstanding player. I'm not going so far as to say the best to ever do it because even for me, who is fond of a hot take, it's not going to put that on his shoulders. I will say, though, There is a pedigree here, and there is a legacy that you have to live up to now that you are an Ohio State commit at quarterback, which is to say, if you sign with Ryan Day, you are expected to be good, not just at Ohio State, but wherever it is you choose to go. Because again, even Joe Burrow turned into the dude he turned into 2019 with LSU, okay? He was there when Ryan Day got there. Justin Fields, same way. Dwayne Haskins, same way. We can keep going with this. I expect Jack Miller to be good. I expect Quinn Ewers to be great. That's what you're getting when you decide you want to commit to Ohio State. You're going to get those expectations. Sounds like Dylan Rayola is in an outstanding position to do and be just that. Okay, that was the top of the show. I want to transition now into some fun here because, well, Mike Leach gave us a tweet that we all have to think about, and I want to read it word for word here and give you our spin on what we think of as, well, longest odds in college football. The tweet is, that horse winning the Kentucky Derby today is a good example of why an expanded college football playoff is needed. That horse hadn't won all the races leading up, but it got its chance, and that's what happened. Now, if it sounds like Mike Leach is a watcher and listener of the number one ranked show, I wouldn't put it past him. Because this is what I've been saying for the better part of a year plus, right? Since we started doing the number one ranked show last April, I have said expand the playoff, you cowards, right? All the time, all the way through. Even caper for teams like Texas San Antonio, right? Because I believe that if you are winning every game, you should have an opportunity to play for the national championship. And I believe that you should get perhaps even a mulligan if you lose a couple of games because you play some good opponents. So like, Georgia Clemson, had Clemson won the ACC title, right, come all the way through, I thought that perhaps, yeah, nobody would have looked at that Georgia loss and thought anything of it because it's Georgia, right? It put them in the college football playoff with the one loss to Georgia. I'm fine with that. We see it in the SEC all the time. What I'm not fine with is other teams that aren't in the Power Five or even, quote-unquote, lesser teams in the Power Five putting together outstanding seasons, magical seasons, and not having an opportunity to play for a national championship 2017 Central Florida is my favorite example of this, right? They go 13-0. They beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl, and they have to claim a national championship. They don't get to play Alabama for a national championship. It doesn't matter that I and you believe that Alabama might beat the brakes off of the UCF. It's that you deserve the opportunity to do that. But that said, I believe the odds for Rich Strike to win the Kentucky Derby were 80-1. to So I went to Fox Bet, and I wanted to know who has the longest odds that are on the board to win the national championship. And I came up with 
five teams that I thought have a pretty good shot to win a national championship, even if the odds do not favor them. And this ain't the Hunger Games, baby, but maybe it might be because if you're one of these teams and you take an L, it's going to be hard for you to get into the college football playoff national championship or even the semifinals. So let's start with the first one here, right? Penn State at plus 7,500. Okay, I made two notes for myself here in the rundown. One was Sean Clifford. The other one is Manny Diaz. Sean Clifford turns 24 in July. That is how long he has been playing college football. Now, last dude that I decided to be like, I don't know about that. That dude turns 24 and is going to be playing quarterback in college. That's not necessarily a good look. Ended up being Kenny Pickett. He's a first-round draft pick to the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Can't be wrong. It's fine. Maybe age is something like wine, right? Gets better. We'll see. But it's also going to be his second year in Mike Yersich's scheme. We know what kind of a play caller and coordinator Mike Yersich is. He's pretty doggone good at Ohio State. He was great at Oklahoma State. Wanted to be a little bit better perhaps at Texas. But I think that he's going to have an opportunity to really put Sean Clifford in some great situations. They got a little bit, I don't want to say better because Jahan Dotson was really, really good for Penn State. But they got a little bit more even at wide receiver, getting some transfers in. And, of course, everything's going to be on Parker Washington on that game. And we'll see what Nick Singleton ends up being. But if the weight room is any indication, that dude's a monster. And then there's Manny Diaz, who's replacing perhaps one of the better defensive coordinators in the Big Ten last year, if not nationally, and Brent Pry, who's the new head coach at Virginia Tech. Manny Diaz lost his seat. That's an F1 reference. There's one on the counter. Lost his seat at Miami. He's going to be a defense coordinator at Penn State. But I love what Jair Brown had to say about his new defense coordinator. He gave this quote to The Athletic. I think if Coach Manny Diaz had some years left, he would go out there and play with us. He's that good. Manny's a fiery guy. And I like a fiery defense coordinator. As a matter of fact, I kind of look at you sort of sideways if you're not a fiery guy as a defense coordinator, which is to say I'm drinking all the Brent Benevold's Kool-Aid as it denotes that stuff. But want to move from them. Well, no, I do want to mention the circle game because I, I have this note in here about circle games. Circle games being on the calendar, you have to circle that game on the schedule, right? That's one that you are we're all going to be paying attention to. And for them, it's September 17th at Auburn. Remember, they won that game in Happy Valley last year, and that is the one for which I was having an open discussion here on the number one ranked show about is the Big Ten a better conference than the SEC? Turned out, bore out, you know, we had two SEC teams in the national championship game, Alabama and Georgia, so it's really difficult to make that call. But it didn't look too good for Auburn, right? So much so that Brian Harson was having to fight for his job in February. I dare say he's not going to be able to survive another loss to Penn State. And for James Franklin, it would be absolutely amazing for him to get the double over an SEC West opponent like Auburn, a team that won the national championship 12 years ago. Okay, moving to the next one here. These are all plus 10,000, but the start here is Oklahoma State, Cowboys. I have notes here for myself about Spencer Sanders being the guy that is returning. It wasn't that long ago that... Being here in the state of Oklahoma and doing a solo sports talk show from 9 to 11 a.m. in my hometown, I would have the inevitable conversation about when is Spencer Sanders going to get the job? Because that was Mr. Texas football coming out of Denton Geyer. We all wanted to see that dude play. Now it feels like he's never going to leave. Like, it's, I mean, I'm joking here, but Spencer's been around for a lot. And more importantly, he's survived a lot. 
He's also seen some dudes go into the portal himself, right? Shane Illingworth, a dude that I was really high on, has decided to transfer into Nevada. That's actually a pretty good move for him. I think he's going to do well with Jay Norvell out there. Desmond Jackson, outstanding running back for them. He transferred to Sam Houston State. Jarek Bernard Converse, cornerback for them. He transferred to LSU. And of course, Tanner McAllister, a safety, transferred to Ohio State. Mike Gundy did not get anybody of significance or anybody at all, I believe, out of the transfer portal, but that's not usually his get-down, right? His get-down is to go get kids that he feels are under-recruited and undervalued, give them a couple years to grow up, and take that redshirt year to the full hilt, and then let them go out there and play. It's been working for him, right? Especially when he recruits the area in which he and I live. Go get Brennan Presley. Go get his brother Braylon Presley. Turn Malcolm Rodriguez into your dude in the middle. Turning out Oklahoma and Texas kids into players that not just are succeeding at Oklahoma State, remember they played in the Big 12 championship, but also are the kind of players that other big-time programs want. Now, I know that Mike Gundy doesn't like losing anybody to the portal any more than anybody else likes losing people to the portal, but it does speak volumes that you were able to develop that talent. Add to that that you're going to get Derek Mason to call the defense. I think they got a shot here, but... We'll get to another one that we got to keep our eye on here. I think I skipped one. I did skip one. That's on me. Director John, put that one down. Producer Cat, put that one down. That one's on me. Let's go to Baylor. Plus 10,000. Defending Big 12 champs and defending Sugar Bowl champs with Siaki. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Siaki Ika and Jackson Player on this squad. Blake Shappen's been named basically the starter, but he's going to have to do this without Abram Smith. Now, I go to Dave Aranda on this. But I also think it's wild interesting that we're talking about Baylor being the class of the Big 12 Conference and having plus 10,000 odds to make the college football playoff and win the national championship. That's wild to me because, like, if Oklahoma had done what they normally do and won their seventh consecutive, but, you know, had won the Big 12 championship, you're not going to find anybody giving them plus 10,000 odds. You're just not. And knowing what they return at Baylor, right, and knowing what they added at Baylor, and knowing Dave Aranda is your defensive coordinator, how do you not feel good about this? We could be looking at Baylor and Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game again. I believe one through four. Basically, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas are all pretty good. And that's before I even talk about what Kansas has added. And we all know how I feel about Lance Leipold. What Texas Christian has added, they went big into the portal. You could have some really cool games there. Also, while I'm here, Baylor, right? Circle game is September 10th at BYU. Jeff Grimes makes his return, right, to BYU. That ought to be fun. And then Oklahoma State's circle game is September 10th versus Arizona State. Second time that Arizona State has kind of come up, right? Because we can never discount the magical powers of a Sun Devil. All right, next on the list. Now I'm back in order, right? Producer Cat and Director John are probably going, okay, cool, he settled down. Tennessee Volunteers at plus 10,000. And just as I settle down, producer cat's on edge. <laughs> All right. So I believe Hendon Hooker and Josh Heupel could be for the Volunteers in 2022. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it. Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral were to Ole Miss in 2021. Yes. Boo this man. Boo him. But see where I'm coming from with this. You just got a commitment from an outstanding quarterback prospect. You return a dude in Hendon Hooker 
that we didn't really know what to make of until he got to Tennessee. And we got to see that dude be tough. We got to see the moxie. We got to see that warp speed offense that they like to run up there now with the volunteers. We also get to see them run the gauntlet in 2022. Look, you don't get to become a legend by playing Central Michigan and going to beat up on Boise State. No shade to those schools, but that's just not what you do. You get to be a legend in Knoxville when you got to run through September 10th, Pitt. Now, Jordan Addison aside, Kenny Pickett's gone. But that's also a team that won a New Year's Six Bowl. And you got to go to Heinz Field and you got to win that game. Okay. September 21st, 24th, excuse me, versus Florida in Billy Napier's year one. I know Tennessee fans feel some kind of way about Florida. And you want to get good with Tennessee fans, go beat up on Florida. October 8th, you're at Tiger Stadium at LSU. Brian Kelly, his first year. October 15th, Bama. Tennessee ain't beat Bama since the iPhone was invented, dog. Like, we, it's, it's got to happen sooner or later. And number f- November 5th, at Georgia. November 19th, at a great South Carolina who, you know, won the Duke Mayo Bowl and got to be bowl eligible in Shane Beamer's first year. If you can run that gauntlet, let's say you win, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, you win four of those games, it's going to be really difficult for us to look and say you didn't do a good job. You win them all, yeah, you become the favorite to win the national championship because you would have run roughshod over a New Year's Six Bowl team. You would have beaten Florida. You would have beaten LSU. You would have beaten the team that played in the national championship game and won the SEC championship. And you would have beaten the national champs. And oh, by the way, Shane Beamer and his Duke Mayo Bowl trophy, maybe you could take that too. I'm saying if you're a Tennessee fan, be optimistic and go hunting Smokey, okay? Put on your coonskin hat, go get your musket, and be about your Daniel Boone. That's all I'm saying, all right? Or not Daniel Boone, that's North Carolina. Davy Crockett, be about your Davy Crockett, all right? You can do that. I understand. I believe in you, Tennessee. I believe in you. I believe you better not get smoked, <laughs> Utah, that's my last team here. Plus 10,000 odds to win the national championship game. Kind of like Baylor. I'm going, wait a second. If USC had won the Pac-12 championship, you would not give them plus 10,000 odds. Okay? Something about branding here. Something, something branding. We're looking at a Utah squad that lost a thriller in the granddaddy of them all. 48-45 to an Ohio State team that looked good enough to play in the national championship game till they lost to Michigan, of course. And then a Utah team that beat up on an Oregon team where all of our eyes were on Oregon. That was supposed to be their year. And Kyle Whittingham and his squad said, no, sir. I said, no, sir. Not today, sir. Mm-mm, no, they said the devil is a lie. And they went and they took that Pac-12 championship and they gave Ohio State everything they wanted. We could talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba going for 300-plus receiving. We could talk about C.J. Stroud throwing the ball over, all over the yard. We need to talk more about Utah being in that game, in a game that isn't built for them. Like, if you tell me that the game is going to have plus 90, right, in the over, I'm going to tell you that Utah got beat by four touchdowns. That's not the case, dog. That's not the case. There's a reason why I think you need to be t- paying attention to what 
Utah is about this year. And I think they're going to be a little bit more fiery than even usual because one thing they've had to deal with is Oregon, right? And they understand it, right? Oregon has won the Pac-12 championship before, and they've been about something before, right? Where Mario Cristobal had a pretty doggone good run. But USC ain't done nothing. And USC is in their division. And all the love that Lincoln Riley and the Trojans are getting, I'll bet they feel some kind of way about that Salt Lake City, and they cannot wait to get their hands on these Hollywood types. Utah is in it to win it. I think all of these squads really have a good opportunity to win the national championship. And I'm saying that in May. I understand that. But if you're looking at what I'm looking at, this is really great value, man. Just go do that. Go put your money down on your 80 to 1 favorite, right? And then see if you can't go reap some, some rewards. I'll mention quickly that Utah's circle games are at Florida, right? Florida got two uh, circle games on this schedule. September 19th versus San Diego State. That's a trap game. For RJ and the number one ranked show purposes, a trap game is not a game you can lose. It's a game where you can win and not gain anything. All you can do is lose. San Diego State was a really, really, really good football team last year. So much so that y'all kept making fun of me for having them be in my top 10, top 25. You don't want them problems if you're Utah. You better show up, put them away, put them away early. Because San Diego State is kind of a Utah light. They want to run the football. They want to play defense, right? Brady Hoke built much the same way that Kyle Whittingham is. They want to impose their will. They want to grind you down. You cannot afford to lose that game. You cannot even afford to let that game be close. You're going to make a run at the national championship. All right. Let's transition from longest odds to win the national championship to which player could make the most impact in the transfer portal, right? And the news of Emory Jones heading to Arizona State has me continuing to remember this Mike Leach advice of you cannot undervalue or understate the mystical powers of a sun devil. Now, one of the reasons I want to talk about this is Arizona State needs some good news. And this is good news. This is really good news. It's not just that Emory Jones is coming from an SEC team where he learned the value of playing and playing well behind Kyle Trask, so forth, so on. Didn't have a great show in the Cotton Bowl against Masooners. But also has really done a great job to continue to hold his reputation. Even as he entered the portal, came out, gave himself an opportunity in the spring, and decided, no, it's not going to work for me at the Swamp. Who's out there that wants to come get me? And Herman Edwards said, we want to come get you because we have our own need at quarterback. They added Paul Tyson and one other, but we'll talk about what that means here in a little bit and as far as why they needed an Emory Jones. But the other part that I want to emphasize about Emory Jones is there's a Justin Fields comp to be had here. So Emory and Justin had gone to a camp in Knoxville, and Butch Jones had seen Justin Fields throw, but he already made an offer to Emory. That's the reason why Tennessee could not go get Justin Fields before he ended up at Georgia. You remember there was a quick thing where Justin Fields even committed to Penn State. But Emory eventually committed to Ohio State. Again, perhaps the reason that you're not talking about Justin Fields at Ohio State to start. That's how good Emory Jones was coming out of high school. There were coaches at big-time programs that wanted him a little bit sooner and a little bit more than they wanted Justin Fields. Imagine that, if you will. If he lives up to that hype and that reputation, Arizona State 
could make some noise in the Pac-12. That's what I'm saying about that. Emory's stats aren't great, 19 TDs, 13 INTs, but I think he's going to have an opportunity to be really amazing and outstanding for a Sun Devils program that really needs to have some good news. All right. Kayla Williams has entered the chat. R.E. Jordan Addison and his move to the transfer portal. As a matter of fact, this is pretty good. This is a tweet that the fine folks at CFB on Fox put out going, Jordan Addison, where should Pitt, uh, the Pitt wide receiver play next season? And they list USC, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Clemson, Miami, LSU, and Pitt with Kayla Williams coming over the top saying USC. All right, man. I love Caleb because Caleb got these jokes and, and Caleb knows how to play these notes on the tweets. Some of y'all have feelings about this, and I'm going, why wouldn't the quarterback at USC want to throw the football to a dude that caught 100 on 143 targets last year and is the reigning Bolitnikoff Award winner, along with Dennis Simmons, who's one of the better wide receiver coaches at any level, quite honestly. But I thought it was wild interesting for him to really just say what everybody's thinking. Since Jordan Addison, even before Jordan Addison entered the transfer portal, the talk was he would end up at USC. Name, image, and likeness having a lot to do with Jordan Addison choosing where he's going to play his football next. I should say, we are recording this on a Tuesday. Jordan Addison is taking a trip to Texas for a visit, and if something pops, something pops, right? But timestamps. Add to this, most most fans and college football coaches, college coaches in general, have really had some negative thoughts about name, image, and likeness and what it's doing to the sport. I'm using air quotes for those of y'all that are listening on the podcast. But I thought what Notre Dame men's basketball coach Mike Bray told David Hill hit the nail on the head. The quote is, we've got to stop complaining. This is the world we live in And last time I checked, we make pretty good money. So everybody, shut up and adjust. I love this. You know I love this. This is speaking to me. Put Inject this into my veins. Like, seriously. This is what it's all about. Can you come out and play? Can can, can you recruit? Can you go get dudes and convince them that you are the man to help them reach their goals? To get to their dreams. And if you could get paid to do that, why wouldn't you? I find it the height of hypocrisy for college football coaches to tell me that they don't like that their players are making money. Yo, dog, most Power Five coaches make at least $2 million a year to coach football. And I say to coach football in bold and italicized. For this reason, you can't tell me which one of these dudes know what the mortgage is, what their credit score is. Do they drop kids off at school? Do they pick kids up from school? Do they make sure that people have on pants before they leave the house? How many diapers y'all changing? I can keep going here. But the thing is, the better you get at your job, the more money you're going to get paid and the more they're going to take off your plate. This goes for college athletes as well. If you're on scholarship, you have some privileges and some differences from the person that was walking on. I know this because I walked on at the TU track team. I feel some kind of way about getting in the way of somebody getting theirs. Okay? It's one of the things that I love about 
what this country stands for. If you want it, you can go get it. It's not going to be easy for you, and the rules aren't always going to be on your side. But nobody's going to stop you from coming after it, okay? I'm saying this because you understand I live this, okay? The things that get you to where you're going aren't the things that keep you where you are. You have to adjust. And if you don't want to adjust, I dare you to get up out of that chair. I dare you to retire and say it's because of name, image, and likeness. I dare you. You won't because you make a lot of money. Let your players make a lot of money and make it work. All right. Now I want to get to this question that I posed for myself that we might put out on the tweets, which is, which player will be the most impactful transfer of 2022? Okay. This is a three-part series. First part today. We'll do another part second week. We'll do a third part in the third week. One being, hey, the most obvious candidates. The next being slept on candidates. And the last being super slept on candidates. Dudes that probably even you didn't even think, oh, that dude could make an impact. Because that's what I do. I get into the marrow of the sport and I tease out what I think is most interesting and entertaining to you. I mean, not for nothing, but we led this show with recruiting news for a 2024 quarterback. You know I love this stuff. All right. Obvious candidates for the most impactful transfer of 2022. At the front of the list for me, right, I'm putting Addison to the side because he hasn't transferred yet, is Jermaine Burton. Why? Because the last wide receiver from a Power 5 program that Nick Saban took in on scholarship turned out to be their best wide receiver on a national runner-up and the kind of player that the Detroit Lions traded up to go get in the first round. His name is Jamison Williams. Jermaine Burton is showing up with a national championship ring to go to the team that he, lo- that he beat, that lost to him, because he believes that Holman Wiggins and Nick Saban can develop him into the kind of talent that Jamison Williams was. I think that when you're bringing that kind of guy in, especially with what they lost, John Mechie and Slade Bolden, you're going to get better in a hurry. Add him to what Ja'Cory Brooks can bring you and Cam Latou, you're going to have a lot of fun over there. Next on the list, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. I was kind of out on this one as obvious until I heard some stories about my man Spencer heading over to South Carolina. My favorite being an offense coordinator calls him up and he says, hey, look, they said that I suck at my job. They say that you suck at your job. Why don't we go and whoop their behinds together? That's my energy. Like, that's my energy, right? You know what I'm saying? Oh, what? I got a coach that wants to be on the program of Count de Monte Cristo with me? Talk about, nah, dog, we gonna go at this like the Count. Forget Edmund Dantes. Forget the first mate. Let's go get ours. I'm with that. I love that. Also, let's not forget Spencer is a ridiculous talent, right? I think one of the things that hurt him is putting on a bunch of weight in a hurry because his slight frame gave him so much more mobility and his ability to throw the ball all the way over the field and at awkward angles is one of the things that made him unique and one of the things that set him apart in the sport. I hope he gets back to that. And Shane Beamer's just the kind of guy everybody wants to play for, right? Add to that, he's got Austin Stogner with him, and he's going to have a really good relationship already with perhaps their best pass-catching threat in the six foot six Stogner. I like this move. Next one, we're going back to Alabama, going to Tuscaloosa. We're going to go with running back Jameer Gibbs who is an outstanding talent on a bad Georgia Tech football team. Just the kind of player that the transfer portal was created for. Hey, this is a supreme talent. 
He wants to go play on another team full of supreme talents. Let's make that happen, right? Nobody's mad about this, except perhaps dudes that are in the backfield at Alabama, right? We'll see. Trey Sanders might have something to say about this. I still think that Trey Sanders is an outstanding player, but Gibbs is going to get a lot of the attention because of what he was able to accomplish at Georgia Tech and what he is following, really, at Alabama. A Brian Robinson that was really doggone good, and before him, we all know what kind of a talent Najee Harris was. Go to Nebraska. Go to Lincoln. Casey Thompson, quarterback, right? I love Casey Thompson's game. I like Casey Thompson's game at Texas. I had said that he was going to be one of my more impactful duos him to be John Robinson last year to start. He didn't start. He ended up getting the job back. He ends up transferring to Texas because you're bringing in Quinn Ewers and you're bringing in Malik Murphy, and there's just not room for him anymore. However, I think with Scott Frost, and I think really with Mickey Joseph and that wide receiving group, he could have a lot to do and a lot to improve upon in a Big Ten West that is not nearly the gargantuan battle that the Big Ten East is. We're talking about Iowa, Minnesota, right? Those are the teams that you have to worry about. Purdue, right, in the Big Ten West. I think Nebraska can get to where they can compete with those teams and really have a shot to win the Big Ten West Championship. I think they could play in the uh, Big Ten Championship game against the Big Ten East representative. I really like Casey Thompson. Then I also need to add here, Donovan Rayola is the offensive line coach at Nebraska. So Dylan Rayola looked at his uncle and said, yeah, that's all right. I'll go to Ohio State. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of conversation in their household about this. Next on the list, Texas quarterback, Quinn Ewers. Quinn we reportedly signed a million-dollar NIL deal in Columbus, all to hand the ball off twice, <laughs> right, at Ohio State. But then he put himself uh, on really great footing with the transfer to Texas. We got to see a little bit of what he was capable of in the spring game. Really love watching this dude sling the ball around. Tremendous arm talent. And one of the most talented recruits in the history of the rankings era, right? He and like five other players received a 1.000 rating from 247 Sports' composite, right? And that puts him on par with guys like Jadavion Clowney. Add to that, B. John Robinson behind him, Xavier Worthy to one side, Isaiah Nayer to the other side, Jaleel Billingsley in the slot, perhaps alongside some Ajay Hall. That offense ought to be able to put 50 a game up. Next on the list is LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. Remember I said we were going to talk about why Emory Jones needed to end up at Arizona State. It's because Jaden Daniels decided to go into the transfer portal and come out at Baton Rouge. It's not just that Jaden Daniels is pretty good moving around with the football, but also taking care of the football, right? It didn't go for, as planned for him last year, but I still think that he's a great talent. And I think that he fortifies a quarterback room at LSU that looked kind of dicey up until Brian Kelly solidified it. One, keeping Walker Howard on board, bringing Miles Brennan back, and then adding Jaden Daniels, right? This is after losing Max Johnson to Texas A&M and losing TJ Finley to Auburn. Like, this could have gone off the rails and adding a guy like Jaden Daniels, giving an opportunity to compete for the starting job. I think it's going to be he or Miles Brennan that gets the job, and then they're going to put Walker Howard on the shelf in case they do not win the Arch Manning sweepstakes. Really good for him. Could be terribly impactful, a la one Joe Burrow. Max Johnson is next on the list for me. Now, he's transferred to Texas A&M after starting at LSU. Ed Orgeron deciding to step down as the... Head coach at LSU had a lot to do with this, but I also think 
Jimbo Fisher being an outstanding quarterbacks coach had even more to do with that. I have questions about whether or not he's going to be the starter because Haynes King did not do a bad job until he got hurt, right? And if Zach Calzada can beat Alabama, either one of those dudes can beat Alabama. So I'm interested to see which one of those guys comes out on top. I think Connor Wagman's going to sit for this year because that's a smart thing to do. Just let him grow into it. Unless he proves himself to be the kind of talent that, say, Trevor Lawrence was, let him sit there for a little bit. Okay, next on the list, Ole Miss quarterback Jackson Dart, right? This is a former National Gatorade Player of the Year and a dude that was wearing eye black like he was Anakin Skywalker, but the bad Anakin Skywalker, when really I was going, hey, man, be Star Child, be, be David Bowie. Probably doesn't even get that reference. Transferring to Ole Miss really was the place that I thought he should go from the jump. Natural, It's a natural move for him. You're replacing Matt Corral, but you're adding other dudes to help you out. Not just Michael Trigg, who came with him from USC, but also Zach Evans and Ulysses Bentley IV are your two tailbacks. They're going to be pretty fun to watch at Ole Miss, and I believe that they're probably going to finish in the middle of the pack, but they could have another opportunity to really make some noise like they did last year, going 10-3. and Can't wait to watch that dude play. Moving to Zach Evans, who's also at Ole Miss. Zach's one of my favorite tailbacks in the 2020 class. He or B. John Robinson, either one of those dudes, you'd have a, a great tailback, both of them coming out of 2020 class. Zach was a dude that every time he got the rock, you had to hold your breath because he has the skill and the ability to take it the distance. He's also just not the kind of dude anybody wants to tackle, right? He likes running into people. He likes running past people. I really can't wait to see what he does in an SEC West where the defenses are going to be really good, but he's going to be in great position to be great in Oxford. Okay, my last person that I want to talk about that is an obvious candidate to be the most impactful player in the 2022 season is Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma. Yeah, I said it, right? Now, Oklahoma fans feel some kind of way about this. Everybody else feels some kind of way about this. When Dylan Gabriel is on, he's pretty outstanding. When he's off, he'll literally throw the football to a Boise State defensive back. I'm going to bet on him being more on with Jeff Levy than off, right? I think that this partnership is really going to work for the two of them put them both on pretty good footing in their first years at Norman. Well, Levy's coming back to Norman, but his first year as that offensive coordinator at Norman with a Brent Venables defense, right? Like Ted Roof's going to be the defense coordinator, but we all know who this defense is going to be molded after. And you get to face that defense in practice every week. You get the energy of one Brent Venables. But I also think that there's a reason why there was a bidding war for Dylan Gabriel. First UCLA, then Oklahoma. Now Oklahoma, he's the guy, right? Behind him, he's got to have Nick Evers. We'll see if that actually turns out to be something, but I would like to see Nick decide to, you know, hold to hold it together and let Dylan be the guy in 2022, unless he just doesn't see fit to do that. Okay, next week, we will continue this series of candidates to be the most impactful player in the 2022 season with our slept-on candidates, guys that I think that not enough people are talking about. I'm not going to say the media because it ain't really the media's job to tell you what you don't know unless you want to know what you don't know. And what I've come to understand is that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just, hey, RJ, tell me who's going to win the national championship. Hey, man, it's, it's May, and I just did that segment. Anyway, again, we are on a two-show-a-week schedule here on the number one ranked show. On Tuesdays, you will get our USFL Spotlight Series where we will talk to 
a player in the USFL, and we will recap the week that was through this thing called Power Rankings. Having a lot of fun with that. And then on Thursdays, you will get your college football show, the one that really is for the day ones and the folks that have been around here for a very long time. And quite honestly, I am grateful to producer Kat and director John for being on board for this journey because it's been a lot of fun. And I'm the dude that says, hey, we should be doing two shows during the spring and the summer because I'm that type. Love what I do. I love this job. I'm having a great time. My thanks to producer Kat, to director John, to Rachel Cohn, who is our lead of screening, to Javion Duncan, who is our social media maven, and to associate producer Tyler Wojak. We will see y'all next Tuesday as looks like your boy is going to have lots to tell you about what's going on at the halfway mark of the United States Football League in its inaugural season. That is it for me. Doses.